0: You're listening to audio from Plankrow Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at ww.plankrowharvest.org
1: This morning uh, before church Mark was Mark was straggling in. He's like, Man, I am tired. I don't know, I'm tired. And uh, last week, Mark comes in here doing a little somersaults and jumping around. Man, it's good to be in the house, Lord. This week, he comes in. He's all tired. And uh, But as he he's told me before, as he gets to reading, as he gets to praying, as he gets to singing, he gains energy. And and uh, that was good. Um, Mark was tired, but the Lord is doing his part to strengthen what remains there, Mark, and uh, building us up there. Um, this scripture for this morning, uh, uh, some of you, and, and I saw that, I was talking to Cindy there for just a second there that they got red on. And that's kind of a traditional thing there with Pentecost. You're supposed to wear red. And I don't know if that's a Methodist thing or a Catholic thing or an old school thing. I really don't know. To be honest with you, I hadn't heard of it until very recently. And um, so God bless you for hanging in there with the with the old school uh, uniform. We'll, we'll do better next year, Cindy. We'll, we'll break out the red and hang some red on here or something. But I understand. I get the idea. And uh, we have two major holidays clashing this weekend. We have Pentecost and we have Memorial Day. And with Memorial Day, I I know, uh, you know, uh, Emily mentioned this morning about remembrance. You know, the Bible does say how many times about remember. Remember to remember. Remember this, remember that. Remember to do this, remember to do that. The gifts, I'm sorry, the feasts of the Old Testament were all about remembrance. To help the people to remember. To help the parents remind their kids. You know, I mean, Christmas has its value in that it's probably the one time a year, even as much as they've tried to remove it from our culture as much as possible, the part of Christ. Um, But it's a time where Christ's name will be mentioned, at least in the holiday Christmas. And people will remember for a moment, just for a brief second, that there was a Christ, there was a Messiah, and and, and he came to save the world from their sins. His name shall be called Emmanuel, for he will save the people from their sins. And so both Memorial Day and... Pentecost or Shavuot in the Hebrew um, both have this idea of remembrance with Memorial Day you know we've gotten a long way from Memorial Days of old Decoration Day where people would really go out and put all the stuff on the graves like they used to used to be for veterans and then it became for pretty much anyone who had died prior to you dying you go out and put flowers on the grave replace the flowers or whatever but I can tell you we should do a better job of recognizing those that have gone before us especially as uh, veterans and, uh, and I could, I, I don't want to tell you any stories or I'll get up here and start crying, but I can tell you that there's many guys, uh, some that died in training, some that died in combat, um, some that were injured, uh, some that lost an eye, lost an arm, lost a leg, lost ability to walk, things like that. And we should remember those guys. Um, veterans Day is for veterans that lived. Memorial Days is for m- veterans that died. Those that gave an awful lot, so that we could be free, so that we could come together today and worship together in freedom. Um, we can say whatever we want in here because we live in a free country. And um, it's still free to an extent. It may not be as free as it was, but it's still free to an extent. So with your kids and grandkids, before you eat the hot dog and, and drink the cold one, whatever cold one you're drinking, um, tell them. Tell them why you get the day off. Um, the holidays are starting to mean less and less. Um, they're just about days have a purpose they have a purpose to gave their life so that you could live free today and it goes all the way back to the American Revolution and before when men gave their lives so that we could live free today and we need to remember those guys men and women both so uh anyway the Jewish Christian holiday of we'll call it uh, Christian we'll call it Pentecost because we are more of the Greek flavor and of the Jewish variety we would call it Shavuot and then I started to ask some questions this morning and now I was like, well, I better change up the message. My, my Sunday school class was, they did bad. They got a D minus. I think they got one right answer. I don't, I don't know who got it. But the reality is Shavuot in the Old Testament was the first giving of the law. You could find that in, in Exodus 20. And then you can find the 3,000 that died in Exodus 32. So at the first giving of the law, the Lord writes on the tablets with his finger hands it to Moses, he takes it down to the people. People reject the law, 3,000 die. Uh, they, they chose Baal worship. They were belligerent in their spirits. They chose Baal worship over God. In the second giving of the law of in a sort is where Jesus tells the men to go and wait for him in a place. Don't leave Jerusalem until I send the Holy Spirit to you. They don't know what he's talking about. And sure enough, on that day, it says about 3,000 were saved. 3,000 lost at Shavuot, 3,000 were saved at Pentecost. So God, the creator and provider of all things, like the veteran that gave his life for his country, he sends his son who gives his life for the nations. And in remembrance of his son, we have the resurrection and Passover and also Pentecost, where his son sends his spirit to dwell with us on earth he died, he gave his his life a ransom for many. He died that we might live. And it's because of his gift of life, it's because of the gift of life of veterans that went before that we're allowed to live freely today in spirit and in truth as believers in Christ. So anyway, the Holy Spirit became a wholesale commodity that any person could attain by confession of faith in Christ and obedience to the cross. It's an amazing thing. We should remember it. So in Pentecost's past, past, in Pentecost past um, uh, the Israelites were told, at the first one, to prepare themselves. And he tells them what to do. No relations with your wives. Get cleaned up. Clean the outside of the cup, at least. And I'm going to present to you something. I'm going to present you a gift, but I want you to be clean first. Go and prepare yourself for the law. And in the, in the Pentecost future... In the days of Acts chapter 2, he told the the disciples the same thing. Go prepare yourself. Be there waiting, and I'm going to send you the baptism. Not the baptism of John, but a new baptism. And they're like, what is that? I ain't telling you. He already told them, but he ain't telling them now. You're supposed to remember. But he's going to do, like we said, taste and see. He's going to put another couple of senses in there so that they remember when you see flames of fire coming down on people's heads, people speaking in languages their own and not their own, people hearing in their own language, though Greek was the, the, the preliminary language in that era, when they're hearing in their own language, something's going on. They heard it. They saw the flames of fire. They smelled the smoke and uh, probably smelled the fear on all those people around. And they remembered That something strange happened this day. They saw that the Lord was good, that he did what he said he was going to do. He said, I'm going to send the promise, and he sent the promise. He did exactly what he said he would do. On the first uh, law given, it says there was thunders and lightnings, and the word is in Hebrew, it's kolot, Q-O-L-O-T, and it means languages. So I believe, and the Jewish tradition says, and I believe they're correct on this, that the first time that the law came... Though the Israelites heard it in Hebrew or the ancient Hebrew there at that time, all nations heard it as well in their own languages. Only 70 nation languages at that time. They're a lot closer to the Tower of Babel where there was the division of the men in the land. And they heard it in the 70 languages. And And then at Pentecost, the same thing happened. Whatever God does in the Old Testament, he did at the time of Christ and he does today. I'm telling you, if you don't believe that spiritual gifts happen in the Old Testament and happened in the New Testament and happened today, well, I don't know what to tell you because God says He about himself, he is immutable, unchangeable. He always does the same thing. He always sends a testifier, a messenger, before he sends the message itself. And he did that in the Old Testament by breaking out the law in all these languages where any man could hear and know that there was a right way to live. And he did it again in the New Testament when he proclaims the gospel in a way of freedom that they didn't have before under the law. And so... Uh, the 70 languages, again, everyone hearing in his own languages, the death of the 3,000, the restoration of the 3,000 at Pentecost. He restores what was taken. Um, the Messiah provides grace unto life by his sacrifice on the cross and then by giving the Holy Spirit. The picture of the wave offering there at Shavuot. So we have the first fruits. These were my wheats I planted last year. I've forgotten, plowed them up in my garden. I just had these couple little patches left. I, I, uh, I was like, whoops, I meant to save some and, this is what I was down to, but that, that early harvest, which was actually the barley into the wheat harvest, so it's about a month, a month and a half apart there in Israel, so we got the early harvest of the barley, and then the later harvest of the, of the uh, wheat, and so when you get that, um, this is wheat here, it's not barley, so that's why it's not quite mature, but it's a, good, it's a good picture for us. He told them to have this sheaf offering, this wave offering for them, and so here it is, I had that presented, and then he said leavened bread. So this bread is a three-stranded bread, and, and you can come up and look at it afterwards. You can eat some afterwards if you'd like. And it goes back to the cord of three strands that's not easily broken. And a lot of times we'll equate that to marriage, man, woman, and Christ woven in between. It's really Jew, Gentile, and Messiah. That's the three strands, And it's a wheat bread. It's not a it's not an unleavened bread, and that's why it's risen like that, and that's why it's so puffy looking. But it's... Uh, there's a, a number of things going on there, but the leaven denotes the sin that's in there um, in, the, in, the, uh, in the Gentile and the Jew there together. And um, anyhow, just some little pictures there for you. But the Jew, Gentile, Messiah. So the blessings and the food of Shavuot is milk. And so this is a good time to eat cheesecake. That's where the Jewish tradition of cheesecake came in is at, at Shavuot. And then uh, we have honey which it's not necessarily the honey like we're thinking bee honey. It's from the, the dates, how many dates they had. And they made this kind of, it tastes an awful lot like uh, molasses. And so they have that date honey and then, um, and then meat. So when times are hard, one of the last things people have is a lot of meat, and abundance of meat. So we're going to have roast beef this morning. And then we got some nice chocolate cake in there. And we got a lot of nice bluebell ice cream from the Little Creamery in Brenham, uh, the great state of Texas down where I used to live, real near where we used to live. And so I have blessed you greatly with bluebell ice cream, whether you recognize my blessing or not. <laughs> it's there, and so it's a it's a it's the it's the prescribed food. So I'm just doing what the Bible tells me to do: eat bluebell ice cream. So, so the book that was read on Shavuot on Pentecost is the book of Ruth, and it seems like a book that wouldn't really tie it together in fact i told emily that this morning she's like why are we reading ruth we ought to be reading acts chapter two well i'm gonna show you emily and then you'll understand better i think but if i had to give you some points that you can be looking for the first is there's patience um there's patience and obedience that's thing one thing two there's faith in god's promises thing three there is a redeemer and think. And thing number four is following the Redeemer brings blessings. So there's patience and obedience, there's faith in God's promises, there's a Redeemer, and following Him brings blessings. So to go to the book of Ruth, if we read the whole thing, we could probably read it in 20 minutes, but what I want to do is give you the highlights and I want to hit on some, hit on the, the main parts. And many times if you read the book of Ruth, like reading the book of Esther, you would say that Ruth, the lady, was the was the primary focus of the book but i dare say that is not the case but boaz is her kinsman redeemer husband future husband but ruth gets a good plug she's a good lady um so i want to kind of give you the high point so here's what happened a man named elimelech i'm sorry i already said his name wrong no i said it right elimelech his name means god is king but he makes a bad call he marries a, a fine lady named Naomi, who is a godly woman, so godly and so good that when she comes back to Israel after this bad move her husband puts her through, she comes back, she's like celebrated because she's such a good woman. Naomi's come back. It's good. She's here, and they're all excited. So let me read just this first five verses there, and we'll get the general idea of what's going on, and we'll go from there. So Ruth chapter 1, now it came to pass In the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, that's an area, it's like Cumberland County, Tennessee, Bethlehem, the town, Judah, the region, uh, went to dwell in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons, the name of this man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then uh, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. And they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpha, Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Melon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husbands. So this happened in the very early part of the book of Judges. And it follows Judges, Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. It follows Judges. Judges was this up and down roller coaster of obedience, disobedience, repentance, and disobedience repentance and disobedience and it keeps on going on through the book of judges this happened in the early part of judges where but but what these people should have known and they would have known was they were put in the holy land in the in the promised land in canaan and they were supposed to stay there and the first time things get hard the reason the things got hard it wasn't that god had changed what he promised he would do it's that they weren't doing what they were supposed to do The reason there was a famine in the land was because if you read the book of Judges you'll see that men, everyone did what was right in his own way. When everyone does what is right in his own way that means he's doing what is wrong in God's eyes. And he wasn't seeking after God. And Elimelech, though his name is God is king or my God is king, he didn't act like his God was king. He packs up his family and he goes into this area near Moab. Going into Moab was like one of the worst things they could do because the Moabites and the Amorites these were the offspring of of Job's kids and uh, Job's daughters and these they're just no good they followed the ways of the world and so the reason I would be I would be pretty sure that the reason that Elimelech didn't live very long there is because he went against God's will for him and his family's life and what's worse is his children married outside of the priesthood his children married Moabite women they were told to marry Jews, and they married. They went against God's will. So what happens? He dies. What happens to them? They die. His two sons' named One of them was like pain, and the other was sorrow. That's what they mean, or suffering, or 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 pining, like desiring something that you don't have. That's what he named his son. Kind of a downer, like come here, suffering. Come here, nothing. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go to town. I'm gonna go get you some wives. I mean, he didn't give them like really upbeat names like "killer" and you know "authority." He names them "sorrow" and "suffering" or whatever. But he takes them there, and they get the just rewards of being disobedient to God. Elimelech gets his just reward—early death. His sons get their just reward—early death. But the thing about that you know, we need to catch too is the fact that God brings beauty from ashes. He even brings beauty from from disobedience. Because he takes a woman named Ruth, who was a woman who was seeking after God. And so he takes Ruth, a Moabitess, and takes her from this area, her and Naomi, also a godly woman, when she realizes that it's not getting any better there, Naomi and Ruth go back to Israel. But on their way back, Ruth says something there in chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 16, that really demonstrates her heart as a person. She says, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following you. Naomi tells the two girls they can stay there, get other husbands. They're Moabites. They're not going to fit into in this new culture anyway. Just stay here. You'll be happier here, and I'm going to go back. Orpah says, okay, I'm staying. Ruth says, I'm going with you. The word Ruth, the name Ruth, anybody know what Ruth means? Anybody know what Ruthless means? Yeah, so... uh. To be ruthless is to be cruel and heartless and, and brutal, right? So to be Ruth would be to be kind and pleasant and lovely. So that's essentially what Ruth means. Um, she, she says this little uh, poetry to um, Naomi. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from falling after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my my people And your God, my God, where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more so, if anything but death parts you and me. There's there's something to be gained here also for you young people, and this is the honoring of the mother. I know it's not her mother, but she treats her as her mother because it's her mother-in-law. And she treats her with great honor and respect, and in that she gains salvation. It says it right there, and your God, my God. She makes God, God the Father, El Shaddai, all-powerful, almighty, her salvation right there. She clings to God. Faith in God in the Old Testament is what saves. Faith in God in the New Testament is what saves. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, but faith in God is what saves. And she had faith in God. She made her God the God of the Israelite people. She made that God her God, and she was saved. And so she goes with Naomi, goes back into the land, and Naomi is a wise woman. She's a wise woman. She knows the Torah. And so she knows that there's a man there that has the responsibility for her family, and that na- title of that is called the kinsman redeemer. They're kin. We call it kinfolk around here. They're kin. That's where the word comes from there, uh, Lynn Davis, just in case you didn't know. That's where it comes from. We just shorten kinfolk to, from kinsmen. Um, but if this was written in Cumberland County, and it would say kinfolk, redeemer. So he's the, uh, the closest relative, and the closest relative was supposed to take over the husband duties for a woman that whose husband had passed away if she didn't have an heir. If she didn't have a kid, then this kinsman was supposed to provide her an heir so that the name of her husband was never lost in the land. And so Naomi knew this. And Naomi's a sly woman. Ladies, if you don't think you have more skills at your disposal, you just haven't read the book well. But read this book. That is one sly woman right there. She tells Ruth how to dress, how to look, what to smell like, where to sleep, who to get near, how to talk to him. She gives him all the pointers. Poor Boaz doesn't have a chance. He thinks he's in charge. But as is typical with men in relationships, we have no clue. Or they say the man chases the woman until she catches him. That's how it goes. You just think you're chasing She's laying all the little cookie crumbs out there and until you're over there. And she's like, gotcha. Anyway, that's what Naomi does right here with Ruth. And so, uh, uh, so there's this relative, and his name is Boaz. Now, it's a hard time. And when it's hard times in Israel, then there was this law for those that were poor, orphaned, widows, that they could glean the edges of the field. So the, the guys would harvest the field, but they had to leave the corners just for the poor and downtrodden people. And so Ruth, it says, doesn't say of Naomi. It says of Ruth that she goes to glean the edges of the fields. And so in her gleaning, she does everything as unto the Lord. I mean, she's a great example as a person, as a woman, as a godly person, of doing everything she does as unto the Lord. She goes out there and works like a dog, and it catches Boaz's eyes. Uh, Then she left. It's 2, verse 3. She left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field just so happened Uh, To come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the family of Elimelech Now behold Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers the Lord be with you And they answered him the Lord bless you Then Boaz said to his servants whose young woman is this? The servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said it's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab Go to verse 8 then Boaz says to Ruth you will listen my daughter will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, no go go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? So Ruth, so Naomi has kind of set the table. Boaz recognizes his part as kinsman redeemer. He recognizes that, that Ruth is of Elimelech, and therefore he has a responsibility to her and to Naomi to provide an offspring. So the first thing he does is take care of their households. The Bible tells us to care for the widow and the orphan in their distress. That's what we try to do here. If you know of a widow and that we need to take care of them, we, we do what we can to take care of them, if that whatever that involves. And that's what Boaz does. He's a godly man. He's doing what he's called to do by God. And so he tells Ruth, you stay in this field. I'll make sure you have plenty. And he just loads her up with that. And as time goes on, he uh, he allows Naomi, I don't know. I don't know who's working who, but Naomi... Gets Ruth to snag Boaz. But the key thing that we want to see in all of this, and the conclusion is, is that Boaz becomes her kinsman redeemer. Boaz does his duty out of both love and duty to care for Naomi and Ruth. And he does that by marrying Ruth, ultimately. So I just told you that to tell you the big story. But what I want to do is I want to really focus on Boaz boaz his name means strength or by strength and he's the real turning point of this story without boaz ruth gets no plug in the bible we got to have a boaz he's not the only kinsman redeemer in the bible there was a man named judah who was a really evil man Uh, he's one of the original uh, i won't say he was really evil but he was plenty evil how about that he uh he goes to shear sheep his, his one son had died. His one son married to this lady named Tamar, and his son had died. And he promises Tamar that he'll provide her a kinsman-redeemer, his next younger son. When he becomes of age, he will marry Tamar. Well, he becomes of age, and he marries him off to another lady. Uh, that's in Genesis 38, if you want to read the story. He marries her off to another lady. And so Tamar, like Naomi, is a wise and a sneaky woman so she goes and dresses up like a prostitute you can judge if you want and sits by where they're shearing sheep Judah in his weakness comes by sees her is attracted to her and sends a message that he would want to be with her he's with her he gets her pregnant she comes back to the household and then he threatens to kill her when he doesn't realize that it was his daughter in law that he slept with but luckily she has the prize she has a signet ring and his staff and he, she goes well you can kill me after you identify whoever it was that gave me this staff and signet ring. And so she gives him, and he says, well, you are more honorable than I because I did not fulfill my part by providing you a kinsman redeemer. And so from then on, he protects her and houses her and cares for his grandson slash son by her. And uh, it's uh, so he was kind of an unwilling kinsman redeemer. He did the work, but he was, it was not in love, and it was not in duty. But that's God working. Boaz is not that way Boaz is an honorable man a good man he's a hard working man he's one who loves God and is known by God and knows God we can see even by that greeting we talked about this morning about having the the Lord's uh, name on our lips he comes from Bethlehem and says to the reapers the Lord be with you and the reapers answer the Lord bless you so Boaz is talking to people significantly beneath his status level he's a very wealthy man and these reapers, either they're hired to reap all the fields, or if they're his personal laborers, they're way down here. He's way up here. But when he comes to them, he gives them a blessing from the Lord. The Lord bless you. And in return, they say, the Lord bless you. They were honoring him because he honored them. He didn't see them as beneath them. He saw them as men that he needed to get the job done. He didn't. He was an honorable man. He was a godly man. And he gave the people their reward for the day, um, paying them what they were due. And what I want you to see is how Boaz is the forerunner of the kinsman redeemer that is the Messiah. And it starts right here with his treatment of humble men. The Lord Jesus Christ, King of all kings, Lord of all lords, dwells in heaven, comes down to speak to men made of dirt. And he talks to them humbly. He doesn't say, I'm the king at the knee. He says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He begins to tell them about the kingdom. He begins to encourage them to come to the Father and to be restored to the Father. And he begins to tell them that these other guys here, they've sold you a false bill of goods, but I have the gospel, the very words of life, and by following me and seeking my face, you can have eternal life as well. And that's how Boaz treats these people in a similar way. He has a godly, uh, biblical element to himself in the way he acts actually as I was thinking about Boaz I don't think there's any sin attributed to him there's only a very few men in the Bible that that's the case it's not that they didn't sin it's that they're in their in the writings about them there's no sin attributed to them one is Joseph and one is Boaz and I don't know if there's any other ones that I can think of but there's no sin attributed to him he does everything the right way and that we it's just so that the picture is right it's not that he didn't sin it's so that the picture is right when we equate him with Messiah okay So the first thing is, is that he comes down from a high place to talk to lowly men. And and he was God-fearing. He does whatever the Lord tells him to do. He's going to keep the law. And he's going to keep the law of Shavuot, where the women can harvest the edges, the poor can harvest the edges of his field. In fact, he's very generous with that and even provides his protection over them. Uh, 2, verse 8, Boaz says to Ruth, "'You will listen, my daughter, will you not?' Do not go glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Uh, Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. And so she fell on her face and bowed down to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, and you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? She didn't see herself as worthy of salvation, of being redeemed. And Boaz answered her and said, It's been fully reported to me, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people who you do not know before the Lord repay your work with a full reward and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge and she said let me find favor in your sight my lord for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant though I am not like one of your maidservants now boaz said to her at mealtime come here eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar So she sat beside the reapers, so she sat in the low place. She didn't sit beside Boaz, and he passed parched grain to her, and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. She didn't grab on, make a show, he likes me better than you. She sat with the low people and shared in the food. I mean, in the picture of the kinsman redeemer, there's got to be the humble receiver, right? Okay. The Lord be with you, queen. So... Jesus satisfied these same blessings that Boaz gives to Ruth. He says, "I am the bread of life." He says, "I am," uh, what does he say about him being the? I'm the true vine. What's the one about the living water? He's the living water. He tells him, "You can drink of me all you want, have all you want. I'm the bread of life. Come eat of me. Drink my wine." You know, drink my blood, eat my flesh. Come take of me. Here's the same picture with Boaz. Same thing. He provides for her security. He blesses the people with his words. And three ten through fourteen you see that there's no sin attributed to him. He says, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you did not go after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you're a virtuous woman. Now it is true I'm a, a close relative. However, there's a relative closer than I. And I want to show you this right here. Jesus did the same thing. He didn't come in and swoop up the people. He came in and he presented the people to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees rejected the people. Boaz does the same thing. He goes to the city gate and... And he says, there's a kinsman redeemer closer than I. He gets first dibs on you. And I, I know as a woman you'd be like, man, you're just chattel. You're just like a lamb or a cow or a, or, a, you know, or a sandwich. Just at the disposal of these men to decide what happens to you. But the reality is we've never seen this kind of poverty. And in this kind of poverty and a person says, I will take care of you, you go. It's a bigger deal than we realize and so he goes to the gate and he tells this other man, "Hey, uh, you know, you want this land of Elimelech You're closer than I." And the guy, of course, is like, "Yeah, I want it." he goes, "Oh, by the way, you got to take Ruth." And he's like, "Whoa, I got a wife. I got my own stuff going on. I don't need that." And he says, "Okay, well then I get it." And so he gives the man his shoe. <laughs> and that was the the transition was the shoe. So the lady was exchanged for a shoe. So I don't know how that makes her feel, but that aside, um, he gives what he is of himself without thought of how shameful it would be, just like Christ. he let Christ let the people do whatever they wanted to him. It says that he, he knew what men are made of, but he would not commend himself to them. And I've told you that before. That's about his spirit. He commended his body to men to do whatever they wanted with him. He came from the heaven of heavens, the king of kings, the lord of lords, and he came to a low place to the earth. He put away all of his wealth, though he still had access to it, because he still called on it. He calmed the seas, he heals the sick, he heals the blind and so on. He still has access to the supernatural, but he puts it aside and he meets with men in a low place. And he gives them everything that he is except for his spirit. And at the end he says, I commend my spirit to you, to the Father. He gives it up, man doesn't take it. Uh, this man's willing to do the same thing. He's willing to give up his own property, his own rights to his own things in order to purchase uh Something that is no guarantee. He doesn't know Ruth. He knows her, but he doesn't know her, know her. He doesn't know her. He's doing his duty out of love and out of obedience to the law and obedience to the word. And he's going to come and and take care of them. Uh, Let's see if I missed something there. I'm sure I did. But what, what Messiah did, how about this? What Messiah did was so much greater than what Boaz did. Boaz did it for a single lady. And Messiah did it for all mankind. He gave up everything for all mankind. Boaz gave up everything for one lady. Anyhow, as we continue, Boaz calls aside this relative. Now it is true I'm a close relative. However, this is 3 verse 12. There is a relative closer than I. And so Boaz goes to the gate, chapter 4, and sat down there. And behold, a close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came and said, come aside, friend, and sit down here. Jesus did that with the Pharisees. He tried to talk sweet to him. Listen, you've got most of this right, but you got this wrong. You got the love thing wrong. You got the giving thing wrong. You got the care for the widow and the orphan wrong. I mean, fix these things. And remember he said to Nicodemus, aren't you a a lawyer? Don't you know? Aren't you a Pharisee? Don't you know the law? You know, how can I be born again? Don't you know the law? Aren't you a lawyer? And uh, (laughs) they didn't know. And so he had to go to this guy and he talks to him real sweet and the guy rejects her and then he's able to purchase her. I I was kind of thinking about this, this whole thing, this price of redemption that's paid. And in that, what the parallel, why would we read this story of Ruth during Pentecost? I mean, why wouldn't we read, it seems like a Passover story would be more relevant to this. But a couple things are going on. One, it's the time of year, and that is the the uh, the time of the harvest. And it was 50 days after Passover, and this was when God told the the um, Israelites to do these things, having to do with the first fruits and the grain offerings and things. And then in the New Testament, Jesus told them to come and and wait for him 50 days after the resurrection and and um, 10 days after his ascension. Just wait. And in that both is this picture of the harvest the first fruit of the harvest is the 3,000 at Pentecost that's the first fruit of the harvest 3,000 people about 3,000 were saved it says and so okay that makes a little sense and then Ruth gathering the thing but the biggest picture is the kinsman redeemer he, he took Boaz took on himself a headache we, I mean I know I'm sure she was a nice lady she was probably attractive but she didn't have anything. She had some property that she had named to, but no ability to manage. So she didn't have anything. And he takes upon himself a product that has no guarantee. And Christ did the same thing with us. He takes on a product that has no guarantee. How many people will reject Christ in this life? We're a product that has no guarantee. How many people will come to Christ and then reject him later? How many people will fall in for a time and then fall away? And he comes and he gives everything for a product of no guarantee. A, kin, a true kinsman redeemer in the essence of Boaz. And it's such a big picture. It might have to do with the harvest of the Gentiles. Because Ruth is a Moabitess. She's not of the Israelite. She's, a Jew, uh, she's not a Jew. She's a Moabitess. She's actually not necessarily an enemy. God let them be um, set aside for a time until they just kept harassing the Jews so much that he finally let the Jews attack them because they were of the lineage of Abraham through Job. Uh, Not through Job, but through a lot. But after that, in this day, they were no friends to Israel. But what it shows is that there is no one who seeks after God. No, not one. There is none who does righteous. But even in those that do not do righteousness, God sends a Redeemer to save them as well. And he made a way for Naomi to go and her husband to go and for Ruth to be attracted to Naomi so that Naomi could attract her to Messiah, to God the Father, and to bring her into the fold and make her into this threefold twisted bread right here. He took a Gentile and made her a Jew in spirit. He took an unsaved, lost pagan and brought her into the light. And Jesus does the same for us still today. And it's just a wonderful picture that we we miss in overlooking Ruth. We ought to read it more closely. There was a whole lot of things going on there. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He knew what we were to the Jew first and then to the Greek. We're the Greek, if you're not a Jew. Uh, We're the Greek. He went to the Jew first, but then he opened the door for us to be woven into the bread. He opened the door for us to, to receive the Holy Spirit. He opened the door for us to also receive eternal life if we'll follow the Kinsman Redeemer. I want to show you this right here. So Boaz, Ruth comes to Boaz in the middle of the night. Naomi does a good job of preparing Ruth and you can kind of see that as the picture of one believer kind of prepping the soil for an unsaved person. And that happens in 3, 1 through 4. And she tells her what to do. And so in that night, it says 3, verse 5. Uh, oh, let's start at 6. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Very humble thing to sleep at the feet of a man who's been threshing grain all day. I'm sure it was delightful right there. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Be my kinsman redeemer. Boldly come before the throne of grace. You've got to come to him. If she never comes here, she never gets redeemed. She's got to come. He said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter. And now, daughter, verse 11, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request for all the people of my town know that you're a virtuous woman. It is true I'm a close relative. Verse 13, Stay this night, so he tells her what to do. Stay this night. In the morning it shall be that if this this other man will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good. Let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives, lay down until morning. And then in verse 15, he says, bring the shawl. So in the morning, he puts a bunch of grain in the shawl. Here's the here's the point. So the person comes, the unsafe person comes and he lies down at the feet of Jesus and Jesus covers him with his wing, And then he tells him what to do. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. And the person goes and does that. And then he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. And the person does that. And then he says, Then he says, care for the widow and the orphan in in their distress, and the person does that. And then he says, get rid of anger and malice and evil thinking and fornications and all these things that he goes through this list, and he says, and put on mercy and kindness and long-suffering and patience and so on, and the person does that. That's how it should be. Ruth does it like it should be done. She comes to the kinsman redeemer in humility, lays at his feet, puts all of her hope in him, and in return, he tells her what to do. This is the picture of Christ, and it's in the Old Testament. I dare say that the reason the Jews are commanded today to read the book of Ruth on the Feast of Shavuot is so hopefully some of them will see that there is a kinsman redeemer who asked for the same thing. But how many times have you read the book of Ruth and never saw that before? It was there the whole time. We just didn't catch it. The kinsman redeemer, that is Christ, is the the afterrunner of the forerunner, that is Boaz, and he completes all the things that Boaz did but he completes it in a better way, in a bigger way for all men. And the thing that we miss is the obedience part, I think, where we we come to him and we kind of get near his feet, but we don't get under the wing and we ask for his salvation, but we don't want to give up anything and we try to hold on to the old way while, you know, I mean, if I could just have the cross, that would be enough. And it is enough. Salvation by faith through Christ. But it's, is it a true salvation? If you if you love me, why don't you do the things that I say? If you love me, keep my commandments. That's what Christ says. So if you love him, if he's your kinsman redeemer, how come you don't get under his wing? How come you don't pull the corner of his talent over you? That's what it's talking about, the little shawl right there. It was the little shawl that they wore over their deal there. He's like, put this. That's, that was showing authority and um, matrimony with the woman the woman would come standing and they would put the talent over the woman and now the one that covers me covers you if you love me get under my cover be obedient to me and follow me and do what i'm telling you to do ruth was a wise woman in that she she made the plan her and naomi and then she followed through with the plan and ultimately she was obedient to the plan she didn't run ahead and try to meet the other guy and see if he was as handsome as boaz or as wealthy as Boaz. or She doesn't try to work another way around. She just does what the Redeemer tells her to do. And ultimately it ends with a blessing. And that's here in 4, starting in verse 11. So all the people who are at the gate that saw Boaz take control of the situation, gain the hand of Ruth and the property, and all the people who are at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah so these are the two wives of Jacob and these women produced the all of the uh, tribes of Israel the two who built the house of Israel and may you prosper in Ephrathra and be famous in Bethlehem may your house be like the house of Perez who Tamar bore to Judah so this is the son through Judah and Tamar the other kinsman redeemer but the unwilling one but may Ruth's house be better because of uh, board of Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. Who's the offspring of Ruth? Anybody know? King David. She's the great-grandmother of King David. I'm going to tell you another top secret thing you've never caught in a million years. It's in verse 21. Salmon begot Boaz. Do you know who Salmon married? Rahab. Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot is the mother-in-law of... <laughs> of Ruth, the other mother-in-law, the rescuer of Israel, and they become in the lineage of Christ. Ruth, a Gentile, a nothing, gets rescued by the Messiah, gets rescued by God, and taken by the kinsman Redeemer, and is in the line of David, because she's a godly woman, and her man's a godly man. Then the woman, so Boaz took Ruth, verse 13, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. His name was famous. He was Obed, grandfather of David. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons is bore him. There's a real blessing right there in that verse 15. May the son of your womb be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. You know who Ruth is a lot like? Um, she was a lot like uh, uh, Mary in that she was an unwed mother in a sense. She was taken and she was talked about. She wasn't from there. And from her, Came the lineage of the king, and from Mary came the King of Kings. It's amazing how many parallels there are between this story and and uh, the story of uh, Luke chapter two. There's little doubt in my mind that Boaz is an Old Testament picture of the Redeemer to come. Um, and like, you know, though it's not mentioned in here, he is an imperfect man. If there was one imperfection, it was where he said out loud, "If this other guy takes you, then good." I'm sure Ruth was like. Smooth buddy. But other than that, um, we see no sin attributed to Boaz. But Jesus is a perfect redeemer because the Bible says that all authority under heaven and earth is given unto him. It's given to him. And he has all the property, and he has all the gold, and he has all the cattle, and he has all authority. And he gives it it's given to Christ, and he gives it to us. He says if we'll but accept him, That we can sit with him in the heavenlies. That we can be sons and daughters, equivalent in inheritance to the most high God himself, to Jesus Christ. We can have any part of it. And that's amazing. That's a good kinsman redeemer right there. He can purchase any man or woman that he desires. He gave a lot more than his shoe for our salvation. He gave his blood, he gave his life. And his purchase is perfect. So we should celebrate this day of a memorial, I think, better than we do. And um, we should tell our children, just like we tell them about Memorial Day and the lives that were shed for us and so on in, in, um, in the military sense of our country, we should tell them about this too because there's a kinsman redeemer. And, uh, and the last point I think I should make is that if people will listen to their kinsman redeemer, the blessings that follow are great. If Ruth does things her own way after meeting her kinsman redeemer, she may not get these these blessings from the people there in 4, verse 11 through 15 there. there are no There's no guaranteed blessings on this earth except for those that are following Christ. And we read that in Psalm 34 this morning. The blessings are there, and they're to all who will follow them. So it starts with the following of the Most High God, It's hearing his voice, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. If you know his voice and you're following him, then you receive the blessing. Whatever the blessing is in you, it may be different for you than it is for me. But eternal life is the ultimate blessing and being restored to him in eternity. So if you love me, keep my commandments. These men that waited at Pentecost, they were blessed because of their obedience. What a thing to be able to, in your old age, and you're all old and crippled, and your grandkid comes over there and you tell him, Man, I'm gonna tell you the greatest thing that ever happened to me is I was there at Pentecost. And things like fire came down from heaven. It landed on my head and I didn't catch on fire. And I was speaking in a language I didn't even know. And people came up to me and, and thought I was drinking, but I wasn't. And I was telling the gospel of Christ and then, man, it was what a blessing and they were blessed because they were where they were supposed to be because they obeyed the kinsman redeemer and did what they were supposed to do that was be in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and they were there and they did what they were told we should do the same let's see well I believe that you'll be blessed as well when you follow Jesus Christ in obedience and faith and I pray that today is the day of your salvation if you're here without Christ and you don't know what I'm talking about well then we need to talk about him a second because there is no one righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, but he says, ultimately, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I don't know where you're at spiritually. You may think you're further along spiritually than you are, but I pray that today is the day of your salvation, that you go to your kinsman redeemer, kinsman redeemer, that is Jesus Christ, and get under the hem of his garment. Because he stands. Behold I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens unto me. I will enter in and sup with him. But you got to open the door. you got to allow him in. If you're going to stand at a distance. And think he's going to run over there. And drag you into heaven. You're mistaken. But whosoever comes. That's who he saves. So I pray that today is the day of salvation for you. I pray that you enjoy this bread together with us today. I pray that you enjoy the desserts together today. I pray that you go home and put on some red and tell other people why you're wearing red on this day of Pentecost because of the hope that you have within you. Tell others about that hope. And then you'll be doing the work of a follower of Christ. We're going to sing a song. It's called There's a Redeemer's old Keith Green song and then we'll pray. Let's sing this song first, and then we'll pray. I got to tell you, I really struggled with putting this message together this week. If you couldn't tell, that's good, but you probably could. And uh, sometimes are harder than others um, as you begin to study God's Word and, and try to put it together, and you want to put it all in there so everybody gets all of it. And uh, sometimes you got to pare it down a little. So I hope it helps you this this week. Let's sing our song together.
0: God's own son, precious land.
1: before you this morning and we offer you praise and honor and glory to your name there's nothing we could do in our own to rescue ourselves but you came and you sought us out when we still lived in a foreign land we lived in the land of earth and you made us into heavenly creatures by your ministry of the gospel and we received the gospel and in that you saved us father we thank you for your son that he came and lived a sinless life and died on the cross in our behalf, Lord. He was put in the grave and three days later rose again and sits today at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. In that, Lord, we give you um, all that we are. I pray that these who are here today, if they heard the word today, that they would receive the word and go away glad. They would tell others about the hope that was in them and they wouldn't just keep it to themselves. Ruth was a godly woman in that she shared the gospel. She heard it. She desired to be a godly woman and she shared it and we know that her son grandson great-grandson david was a man of god even from a young man that he he received the word and he wrote psalms and hymns and spiritual songs lord i pray for the families that are here lord i pray for the children that are here that they would honor their mothers and fathers like ruth did to hers i pray for the mothers and fathers that are here that they would they would pray for their children lord and bless their children in this time lord I pray for our young people here as our our world is so corrupt and so wicked, Lord, that you'd have mercy on them, Lord. Draw them to yourself. Lord, give them the energy, Lord. Give them the desire to seek your face with their whole hearts, Lord. I pray for our country. I pray for our president. I pray for the men of the military and those that that serve our country, Lord. I pray for, for mercy on us. We've turned our back on you, Lord, and we ask for your mercy now. Lord, give us one more day to proclaim the gospel, I pray. Thank you for your goodness to us, and we give you all the honor, glory, and praises through your name. In Jesus' name, amen.